Four years and 22 days ago, I was sitting right where you are. I had no purpose, I had no mission, and I had no team. And today, I'm standing on a stage that I did not feel worthy of standing on. Today, I own this stage. And there's no one in this world that can take it away from me. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you, and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Welcome to the Building Doors podcast, William. Thank you so much for coming on as a guest. Thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah. Look, I'm going to tell uh, the listeners a little bit about you because, wow, you've just had an amazing uh, journey and I think just a lot of people were going to resonate with, you know, some of the challenges you've overcome and what you've been able to do um, for your country and also in your own life. So William Branham is a highly decorated Navy SEAL veteran who served in the United States military for 26 years. During his extensive military career, he honed his leadership skills, cultivated a strong mindset, and gained invaluable experience in high-pressure situations, such as a sniper instructor, leading teams on operations ranging from protecting the interim Iraqi elected officials to direct action missiles in Baghdad and Afghanistan, as well as undersea missions that were required to be approved by the President of the United States. After retiring from the military, William has made it his mission to share the lessons he learned with others as a speaker, author, and business host of the Navy SEAL Mindset podcast, and he's also a leadership advisor. William's expertise in leadership and mindset has been sought after by organisations ranging from small universities through to Fortune 500 companies. He draws on his experiences to provide practical advice on how to cultivate a leadership style that inspires and motivates others and how to develop the resilience needed to success in some of the most challenging environments. William's commitment to serving others drove him to launch Naked Warrior Recovery, through which he supports several philanthropic I can never say that word, philanthropic causes, including the Navy SEAL Foundation, Century and Military Alliance, and 22-0. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. What an amazing journey you've had. And just some of the things you've probably been exposed to, we can't even imagine um, as civilians, you know, what challenges you've been up against. I'm just curious whose bio you just read, because that sounded pretty cool. I have no <laughs> idea who that was. It's yours. It's yours. <laughs> Tell us, I really want you to share your journey from civilian to Navy SEAL. What inspired you to take that path? Why was that the career path for you? So I grew up very poor, like dirt poor. I was called poor white trash as I was growing up in a little town outside of in in the backwoods of Mississippi. Mm. And um, I, I was heavily involved in the Boy Scouts. You know, my heroes growing up were G.I. Joe. Uh, John Rambo, John Wayne in the movie Green Berets, um, things like that. So I always knew I wanted to be part of some sort of small elite military unit, although I didn't know what that really was. Mm. Um, And then I went to this national jamboree that because I was so involved with the Boy Scouts, they paid for me to go to this event. It's a it's a it's actually you get Boy Scouts from all around the world to come there. And, you know, for I think two weeks in in a, a army base in Virginia. And I met a kid, 
in the sister troop that I was a part of and he was a good swimmer and he already had a, his plan. Mm -hmm. This was like the summer between my 11th and 12th grade of high school. Here he had his plan for like what he's going to go. He's going to go to the go to the Naval Academy. He wants to fly F-14 Tomcats like mm -hmm. the movie Top Gun and he wants to be a Navy SEAL. And I was like, that's cool. I want to do that. What's a Navy SEAL? Mm. And he kind of explained like it's the hardest military training in the world, this and that. And this was before the internets, before Al Gore created all the internets that we have out there right now. <laughs> um, and uh, and so I came back from that event and I always swore that I would never join the Navy because all the men in my life have been in the Navy. Mm. And I'm like, I don't want to join the Navy. They have the ugliest uniforms. They ride on these big gray things that float out there in the ocean. I don't want that. Uh, the Marines sound pretty cool. The Green Berets sound pretty cool. All those things sound pretty cool. But the thing that I was attracted to with the SEAL teams or with Navy SEALs is, you know, one number one, someone said it's the hardest military training in the world. And number two, they had the water component, the mm. diving piece of it. You know, growing up, I was poor. We had, we didn't have cable TV. I had three channels growing up and I watched, so I watched a lot of national geographic. I was very interested in scuba mm. diving and things like that. I'm like, well, this is how I can get certified to be a scuba diver. Mm. And, uh, what I, what I learned after 26 years is I don't really like diving that much. <laughs> I, you can keep the water, um, component. I like the water. I love, I love the ocean, but not the water so much. But I, so I came back from that, that national jamboree where this kid was like, you know, had this big, these big plans of going mm. to the Naval Academy, flying F-14 Tomcats and becoming a Navy SEAL. And I was like, well, that sounds like something I want to do also. Mm. So I'm home. And the Navy recruiter calls my house because that's what they do. They're just looking for candidates to join the Navy to, mm. to meet their quotas. And he said, like, hey, man, have you ever thought about joining the Navy? And I was like, well, I want to go to the Naval Academy. I want to fly F-14 Tomcats and I want to be a Navy SEAL. He was like, check. Why don't you come on down here? Mm -hmm. We'll have a conversation. Um, so I watched a super cheesy recruiting video. <laughs> like, and this was early 90s. Mm. Like, yeah, like 91, 90, 91. Um, and uh, so we didn't, they didn't have the same sort of special effects and all the, all the stuff. And no one really knew what a Navy SEAL was back mm. then either. And so I'm like, yep, that's what I want to do. Where do I sign? And how do I go to the Naval Academy? How do I do all the other things? He's like, hold on, that's, there's a process. So I went through the process and uh, joined the Navy while I was still in high school. Mm. I didn't go to boot camp until I graduated from high school, but I joined the Navy before, like while I was still in high school. Yeah. And then, you know, a few weeks after I graduated, I went off to boot camp and then started my 26 year adventure. If you Wow. Will. Tell us about boot camp. Is it really as hard as what people make out? So boot camp is actually Navy boot camp is probably the easiest boot camp that you could go to. I think the Air Force has a harder boot camp than what the Navy does. Um, you know, the, the, we learned about, you know, Navy traditions. Mm -hmm. We learned about how to fight fires on a ship. It's very focused on, you know, the, the big gray Navy, those big gray things that float out there <laughs> in the ocean. Yeah. Um, we learned how to march. We learned how to fold our clothes. There was no obstacle course. There was nothing like super cool about it really at all. Yeah. Um, it wasn't hard. The hardest part was when you join the military, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about this later, when you join the military, they do a very good job of of taking your old identity away mm. and having you assimilate into this new thing that is the military, that is the Navy or the Army or the Marine Corps or whatever it is, um, so that they can train you to be the professional that they need you to be right. in, a, in a military force. And so... 
it's it's not hard. It's just like they take your identity away. You have no friends. You have to make new friends. You and you just assimilate to to what they want you to be. Mm. And uh, and then you go from there, and you go to another school, and then you eventually go to your job in the navy or in the military um, with these new skill sets, with this new sort of assimilation, new family, if you will, mm. and uh, and then you start your career. However long that's going to last, it could be three years, two years, it could be four years, it could be thirty years. What sort of mental agility does that require? Because it's like you're leaving a your old ad- identity behind, forming a new identity. And then after you've finished your service, going back to or creating a new identity again. Going in was is easy because I went in young. I went in 18 yeah. years old, right out of high school, uh, knowing, kind of knowing the path I wanted to go on. Mm. When I retired, I say that me retiring from the, from the military is the hardest military mission I've ever been on. And I've been on a few missions in my 26 years of, of service. Mm. Uh, and I, and it's still one of the hardest military missions, uh, even today, because what I say is when I, when I re- retired, I use air quotes cause I don't think I'll ever be retired, <laughs> yeah. but retired from the military. I felt like I'd lost my purpose. I'd lost my mission and I'd lost my team. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to say a, a swear word right here, but I had a pretty badass mission, a badass purpose and mm. a badass team. Mm. And then it was like that Avengers movie where Thanos snaps his fingers and half the world's population vanishes. Mm. Like it was all gone. Like I didn't like I, my family was gone. My everything I knew was gone. Yeah. And so I had to reinvent myself. I had to figure out what I do. And this is, I, I think this is very much a downfall of the military. And I don't even think just the, the United States military, I think most militaries yes. where we they put so much time, effort, and money into making you a soldier or a sailor or whatever that thing is, that member of the military. Mm. They put zero effort into preparing you to get out. Mm. I mean, I can only speak for the Navy. Um, the the criteria for getting out, it didn't matter if you were retired or you just got out after your, your service was over. Um, they gave you a one-week class. And in that one-week class, they taught you how to write a resume and how to create a budget. I don't need to know either one of those things. I've been in the military my entire adult life. I I'll figure out a resume. And if I hadn't figured out a budget at this point, <laughs> I, there's a lot of things have gone wrong. Yes. And how am I at the level that I am? Right. Yes. Um, so, so that, that's all the effort they put into you mm. when you're getting out. They put all this like months and months and mm. years of, and millions of dollars into bringing you in, having you assimilate to this culture, this military culture, teaching you a skill set that you may or may not be able to use once you get out, but they do nothing to really prepare you for, for getting out of the military. So knowing that that was the hardest mission for you was that journey back to civilian life. What, looking back on that now, what advice with everything that you've now accomplished and being able to do post that journey, what advice would you give to someone facing that themselves now or making that transition? I would say start thinking about long before you, your time is up, long before you decide to get out. Think about what you want to do. It may have nothing to do with what you're currently doing. Mm. Make a plan. And I, I like to use sort of a military uh, mission planning process to, to kind of yeah. think through it. And especially if you're a military person, you should have some idea of what that looks like. So basically figure out what do you want to do? What is the next mission that you want to go on in your life? 
um, and then make a plan. It does not have to be a great plan. It can be like a 50%, a 30% plan, but create a plan and then you brief the plan. So step one is create the plan, mm-hmm. then brief the plan. And I don't mean, you know, in the SEAL teams, I'll, we'll brief, we're going on a mission and we'll brief, you know, the, all parts of the mission and different people from the, from the team will brief their portion of the brief. Mm. But if you're, you know, this is your mission, you're going into this new phase of life, this new, you know, sort of military mission from military to civilian life, create that plan, but then brief your plan, like talk to people about what you're planning on doing. Mm. They might have some ideas of a better way for you to get there. Mm. Find people that you trust and, and talk to them about it. Have them poke holes in your plan. So this is where I, I talk about do a dirt dive. Mm. So in the, in the SEAL teams, we, you know, we, it's a rehearsal, basically. It's a, it's, a, it's a much more detailed rehearsal. We call it a dirt dive. And it really came from when we do diving mm. operations. Mm-hmm. We plan the dive. And then I'll take you know, my compass. My, it, we have this board. We call it an, an attack board. And it has a compass. It has a watch and a depth gauge. And we use that to navigate all over underwater, you know, into enemy harbors, out of enemy harbors, uh, to do the things that we do. Mm. Like there's no electronics outside of a, the, the stopwatch that we use. And so, but we plan our dive and then we will go outside and we'll practice. We'll look, we'll remember the, the, the bearings like, okay, we're going to go at two seven zero for however long, 44 minutes. And we walk. We don't walk for 44 minutes, but we walk, you know, across the parking lot. Okay. And then from here, we're going to turn to 170 and we actually walk through the entire plan, mm. start to finish. We practice our hand signals, the signals that we're going to use underwater, nonverbal mm-hmm. communication, because you need to have all of that figured out before you actually go and, and do the dive, because you can't really communicate underwater unless you mm. actually know what one another what are talking about. So even in Iraq or Afghanistan, when we would, we would, we would brief a mission, then we would go get the vehicles. We would get in the vehicles exactly where we would sit for the mission. Mm-hmm. We would drive the vehicles 10 yards. We would stop. We would practice all the radio communication. So everyone knew where we were in each phase of the operation. Mm. They would, we would announce it over the radio. Then we would get out and we would get an exact line. Like the guy in front of me right now in this rehearsal is the same guy that's going to be in front of me on this mission. The mm. guy behind me, exactly the same. And we walk to like a pile of rocks or whatever. And then we spread out and then we practice uh, like taking down the target. We don't actually do, you know, enter buildings or anything like that or shoot people while we're rehearsing, but we go through all, every detail, every step of the mission. And then we practice doing something as simple as getting a head count. Mm. Like, how do you, how do you line up for a head count? How do you get like, where do the vehicles go when it's time to get back in the vehicles? Where, how are they set up? Mm. And then we practice getting back in the vehicle exactly where we're supposed to be. And then we practice getting ahead. Like we, we practice the most, basic of things but i think that's where most people fail they stop thinking about the basics and they want to be very advanced yeah just focus on the basics if you can master the basics nothing can stop you it doesn't matter how badly the operation goes if you always come back to the basics so then we do this dirt dive we practice we rehearse and then we go execute the mission Mm -hmm. after the mission we immediately come back and we do an after action review what went right what went wrong what can we make better and then we plan the next mission so i tell people that are transitioning from the military Go through that same process, mm. like brief, like figure out your plan, make a plan, brief your plan, tell someone you trust, practice the plan, go execute it. And then, and it can just be phases like, okay, so in combat, you know, 
we have like a whole operation. Mm-hmm. We'll, there'll be many mi- little missions along the way to accomplish this, the big objective. Mm. And so like raising kids, for example, you like, they all have birthdays. They all have different, you know, uh, medical things they have to do. They go to school, different grades, all the, like all of those are small missions that you're doing as a parent to have the end result of having an amazing adult that provides value into the world. Yes. So if you just have to look at it like that. When you look at that as well, how can people apply that? So I think there's a transferable, you know, almost a transferable skill there around applying that to your career. Um, So if you look at people looking to, um, you know, build a, a, a career or build a business, do you work with people around leadership? Because I know you do the leadership coaching and around applying some of those principles into those foundations of their life. A hundred percent. An interesting thing, which I didn't, I didn't realize at the time is one of the most valuable things that I could have done in my transition to this world of entrepreneurship that mm. I'm a part of now is I hired a coach. Actually, I hired multiple coaches to help me figure out really to collapse time. Mm. They've done it. They have the blueprint to make it happen. So yeah. why don't I just hire them? Give the, here's money to in exchange for time. Yeah. Everything costs something. So what are you willing to pay? Yeah. Are you will, like, I can figure it out on my own and I can, and I'm okay failing. I'm okay sucking. I had this conversation with one of my clients today. Yeah. I said, I, you know, I told her, I'm like, don't be afraid to suck. Like it's like, it's not, a, it's a not saying. a fancy word. <laughs> Would you say something about the suck Oh, you've said it before. Embrace the suck or embrace something the like suck. Yeah. Tell us about embrace the suck. Well, it's, 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 I think there's a lot of different meanings that you can bring from that. Mm. You know, it, embrace the suck. A lot of times it's like, well, let's just say I hate running, mm. but I run because it's hard and I hate it, Yeah, but I want to be better at it and I want to be in good shape and I want to, you know, continue to do hard things. Running sucks. <laughs> I agree. Running I'd, sucks. I, but I'd love to be better at running. I, I, and so th- there's a lot of different ways to, to kind of say this, you know, be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. I, I don't really like being uncomfortable, but I do it because I know what the end result is going to be. I'm going to be in better shape. I'm going to be a better runner. You know, uh, next month I'm, I'm going to go run, run, walk, hike the Grand Canyon for the second <laughs> time this year. Wow. It's 54 miles. In a day, wow. out and back. So um, it, when we did this in October, or I'm sorry, in uh, in the spring, we actually saved a kid's life. Wow! He was like out there on his own. He would had we not shown up, he would have died of hypothermia. Shit. But we just you know we happened to show up that day. Yep. You know it was raining. It was about forty degrees out. The winds were about forty miles an hour. It was cold, and mm. we were moving, and we were working hard. And this kid was you know he'd probably he was soaking wet. He was in a, like hiding out in an outhouse. Wow. Um, you know, he was stripped down to his underwear and, you know, just to, to, to not die of hypothermia or yes. die as quickly. Yeah. And we happened to roll in and he was like, Hey guys, can you, can you help me out? And, uh, we wrapped him in space blankets. we made some hot chocolate for him. We broke into the ranger station. We called the rangers. They were like, Hey, is he okay to walk? We we're like, Nope, he's not. He's, he's pretty messed up. He's like, they're like, well, call us back when he's ready to walk out. Mm. And we were like, are you kidding me? Like he needs help. Mm. They were, they're like, they're sorry. We can't, we can't help him until he's can help himself basically. So thankfully we showed up, Yeah. but preparing for that, 
there was a tremendous amount of suffering and embracing the suck and being okay mm. with that discomfort so that we could, at the end of the day, really, I believe the reason we went was to save that kid's life. I think it's fascinating. It's, it's so often human nature, so you'll see, see people avoid discomfort. Yes. You know, they don't want to do it because they don't want to run because running's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. Or they don't want to start a business because, you know, putting your money on the line. What if I fail? Hey, what if I fail? It's right. uncomfortable. What if I go bankrupt? What if? I, and there are all these thoughts that, that come into their mind around what could go wrong. Right. So when you did you have that perception at a young age of just doing hard stuff or do you think that the training helped you become more comfortable with doing the hard stuff? I think I I think I've always been of the mindset of how hard can it be? Mm. That has not always served me. <laughs> <laughs> pretty hard. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty freaking hard. Um, but uh, to kind of go back and, you know, kind of talk about that embrace the suck. It's okay to, you know, start over. I've started over more times than I care to admit. Mm. Um, like I was mentioning, like one of my, one of my coaching clients, you know, she, she has a, a hard time like with conflict. She's like, I don't want to like have this confrontational discussion with either a, an employee, a team member, a client, whatever. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, there's different ways that you can approach this. Some, you don't have to come in like hard, hard charging and like create conflict, mm. ask questions mm. because I asked her, how did I start the call today? Mm. I asked you some questions. I asked you how, like, how's it going? What's going on? Tell me about whatever's bothering you today. And I used that to soften the way that I was going to deliver my message. Mm. And so one of the things that I delivered to her was it's okay to suck. It's okay. If you use like sort of this, um, martial arts thought behind it, um, everyone has to be a white belt. Mm. Everyone has to be a white belt before they can become a black belt. Yes. You can never, no one goes straight to black belt. No, you have to pay your dues along the way. And it's in everything. I don't care how competitive you are, how, what things you do, how great you are. You have to pay your dues. Mm. Being competitive can help give you that advantage of not liking failure. So, you know, my shirt says get naked. It naked is an acronym and the A in naked is accept failure. Mm. I talk about failure to be the greatest teacher of my life. Failure has taught me things that no amount of money could ever buy. So I use failure as my foundation to build my success on. When you look at failure, what has been one of the moments that has stuck with you or, an, or a moment in, in, in failure? Was there ever a moment where you doubted getting back up again? No, I, I never doubted getting back up again, but I was talking to a friend of mine um, who lives in Australia, who's actually here right now. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that we talked about recently was he went through a bout of depression mm. and he said something that was very interesting to me that I never really thought about. And the more I thought about it, I was like, Oh, that's like, I've experienced exactly the same thing. Mm. He said that he was very comfortable in that depression. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to get up. He was comfortable with where he was. Wow. If you think about like the, have you ever seen the show Dexter? The, yes. The serial? Yes. So, you know, he talks about his dark passenger. Yes. It was like that for, for my friend. Mm. He was like, I, like I was in this dark place and I was happy. I was comfortable being in that place. And so I think it's, it's important that we, 
even though we fail and we're like, we kind of feel sorry for ourselves and I'm no stranger to feeling sorry for myself. Yeah. We all, we all do it no matter how hard or cool or great we think we are. <laughs> we all will have moments of where we kind of feel sorry for ourselves. That's okay. Give yourself grace. But at the end of the day, you still have to get up and, and continue on and, and go e execute the mission. Mm. You always have to go like, what's the mission? Always have a mission in mind. Always mm. know what that next, like you get to the top of a mountain. Well, there's a thousand more mountaintops to, to climb right over there. Mm. I like to think like, there's another way you can think about it. Like you're always on an escalator that's going down. Mm. If you stop going up, you're going down. Yeah. So if you always, if you think about it like that, like, holy crap, I can't, I can't stop trying to improve. Mm. Or I'm going to be at the bottom of this escalator again. So let's just keep moving forward. Like you can like take a break and like give yourself that grace. It is going to take you longer to get back to the top, but you have to keep going. So when you look at that escalator or, or moving forward in your own life, tell us about what you do on a daily basis to keep your mindset strong and to keep more moving forward. What's important to you to maintain that routine of continually propelling forward? Um, number one, the, the first thing I do is I prepare my day the day, the day before. Yeah. All the way down to how I lay my clothes out on the floor. Really? A hundred percent. Um, I showed a friend recently, uh, this exact same thing because I don't think people believe me, but I'll lay my pants on the floor and my shirt on the floor as if I'm wearing them. Mm. So when I get up in the morning, like, I don't want any distraction. I don't want any decision-making fatigue to happen. So I, I ran a, a course for, there was, um, for men, it was nine men, seven, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs. Mm. And I ran them through some obstacle course stuff, some like run, taught them how to do some ground fighting, worst case scenario, taught them how to like, you know, go through a kill house with, with guns and you know, like th there's a bad guy in your house, you got to go save your family, whatever, sort of that sort of worst case scenario. And, uh, and gave them a bunch of other training, but you know, I had to be at the event at, at five 30 in the morning to like mm. prepare everything. And so my bag was packed, everything was ready to go, all the clothes, all the contingencies, water, food, whatever I needed packed by the door, by the hotel room door, clothes laid out, socks laid there, shoes laid there. So when I woke up, even though I still had plenty of time to get ready, mm. I didn't want to think about anything that I might forget. So I planned everything the night before, laid everything out, put my, like I got up, I didn't like even turn on the light. I just put my clothes on, put my shoes on, grabbed my bag and I went down and got coffee and whatever, and then headed out to, uh, to the event. I always try to plan my day the night before, but I'm always, I always set un, un, um, what's the word? Uh, do you mean unscheduled or unplanned time? No, no? uh, uh expectation, un unreasonable expectations to myself. Yeah. And it's amazing when I set these unreasonable expectations, I always hit them. Give me an example. Um, even if it's like podcast. Yeah. I've been on over 450 podcasts. I know. I, my original plan was to be on one a week the first year. Yeah. So one podcast a week. I broke 150 the first year, maybe 200 the first year. Wow. So I thought 50 podcast was an unreasonable expectation. Actually, that was kind of reasonable. I'm like, that shouldn't be too hard to do. Mm. And then I hit 150 to 200 the first year. What? Then you have to make the goal even Oh, now harder. my goal has yeah. to be much bigger than that. So now I have a different podcast. I have my own podcast. And so now I'm, you know, one a week, but um, I travel a lot. So I, you know, I'll batch my episodes and things like that. But I like 
that unreasonable expectation. Now, so now I want to be on, um, I, I, I love speaking from stage. Mm. Um, like my original goal was to be on stage in front of a hundred people. Mm. Like, Oh, it seems like a pretty good goal. Well, hmm. first it was get in front of people. Then a hundred. I just did an event last, last weekend, not this previous weekend, uh, 800 people. My next goal is 5,000 people. Like mm-hmm. I want to be on the biggest stages in the world speaking to as many people as possible and delivering an amazing message. What is what is the purpose that drives you to do all of that? Because with these big audacious goals that people come up with, a lot of the time there's that guiding undercurrent of what you want to do or what you're hoping to achieve from doing all that work. Sure. Uh, number one is people generally don't believe me when I say this, but I have a tremendous amount of imposter syndrome. Wow. Um, and I think it's important that I say that. I think so. Yeah. Because people don't believe it. Like, oh, you're a Navy SEAL. You did this and that, and you did all these great things. I think I'm a regular guy. Yeah. I think I'm like, how dare I? So this was one of the things that I said on that stage last weekend is, and I said, and I did the math just to make sure that I was correct. I said (laughs) four years and 22 days ago, I was sitting right where you are. I had no purpose. I had no mission and I had no team. And today I'm standing on a stage that I did not feel worthy of standing on today. I own the stage and there's no one in this world that can take it away from me. So I have to take ownership of my own self. Mm. I have to own the situation that I'm in Mm. good or bad. And I have to deliver an incredibly valuable message. Um, and, and part of that was, you know, I didn't know what my message was. I didn't know what my, I didn't know anything mm. once upon a time, mm. it, but it took coaches to kind of like, Hey man. And it took 450 podcasts for me to figure out what my message really is. Yeah. So I had to go out and I had to do the reps and I had to suck mm. and I had to be uncomfortable and I continued to fail and that's okay. That's part of the process. Mm. And as I got better, I found other ways to get better. And then I hired other people to help me get better. Mm. And so I got better and better and better. And now, so now I'm, you know, I, I'm still growing. I will never be content. I've been complacent enough times in my career. And every time I'm complacent, I've have failed Mm. to include, you know, being things I've done in the SEAL teams, being a leader in the SEAL teams, I've found myself complacent. And when I did, I, I failed as a leader, uh, in civilian life, in marriage, in raising kids like anytime i've been complacent and i've been good enough Mm. i've had massive failure but when i continued to keep myself uncomfortable i don't like failing Mm. i don't like being uncomfortable either but i will take discomfort over failure any day of the week so in in you spoke just before about having that uh you know um speech that you said that you were sitting in that seat um of the people that were listening to you at that moment in time right Tell us about that journey as well. What was, because you, you, you've you spoken about imposter syndrome and, and how that rears its, rears its head for you as well, and then you've spoken about transitioning out of, um, out of the Navy SEALs into civilian life as being the toughest mission. How, and I really want to delve into this um, around from a mental health perspective. Is there a grieving process for, for when you move on from that part of your life or a sense of loss? You know, because I think we focused on a lot of the key tangible steps. Sure. Um, but what about that 
mental journey too. Yeah. Um, I, I like to say I had a lot of baggage. Mm. I don't say PTSD. I don't say anything like that. Um, baggage. We all have baggage. Yeah. We all carry a bunch of crap around that we don't need to carry around. Yes. A lot of times it's our ego. Mm. And, um, you know, when I was sort of going through this process, trying to figure out who I really, who I am, who, mm. who am I now? I have mm. no idea. What's my mission? What's my purpose? Who's going to be on my team? And I like, I like to say, I like to talk about, I'm building my new SEAL team or my new boat crew or whatever. Love that. Um, and so to be on my SEAL team, I have a very high bar of who I'm going to let, just mm. like be, becoming a Navy SEAL. It's a very high bar yeah. process to go through. Some of the people that are on my SEAL team, I paid to be in the same room with them. Mm. I built the rapport. Now I'm they're on my team and I'm on their team. Mm. But I had to I had to make the sacrifice to get there. Yeah. And then I had to make the determination if I want them on my team or not. I didn't know it until I got into the same room, had the conversations. Um, but on the mental health side of it, you know, I've I think it's tr mostly true for men. We are the most hard-headed, uh, egocentric beings on the planet, even though we will say that we're not. <laughs> um, and I'll and I'll qualify this in you know we don't like to ask for help we don't like to ask for direction we don't like we'll just figure it out we're problem solvers yeah that's our superpower mm. we're really good at that not all but most um so we don't want to ask for help i for sure was one of those people i have never wanted to ask for help i always thought it was a sign of weakness mm -hmm. um and then i was on a call it was i forgot the name of that that the app that came out right around covid time not whatsapp no it was like uh it was a social media app but it was only audio it was oh. no is uh, uh, oh you know what it is i do Who, everyone that's listening right now they know what it is and they're yelling it into the phone you know or, when you're watching that show and then they're putting up the word and people are, i think he's yes gonna, well, Google whatever it. that thing is um i think i deleted it off my phone because i didn't use it anymore there was messenger that was linked separately to facebook I, whatsapp uh, Snapchat. This was like, it was like live podcast almost. Oh. Um, I don't know if I know that what one. Is, I know it was big in the United States for almost a, for probably a year. Um, anyway, not important. So, but, but anyway, I was in one of these rooms and, and I, I'm trying to practice vulnerability, mm. trying, it's not easy. Um, and I thought that I thought it was going to like pop into my mind. But anyway, and there was a psychologist or psychiatrist. I don't know that one can prescribe meds, the other can't. Yep. Anyway, shrink. There was a shrink in the room. Yep. To uh, and and I was like, okay, I'll I'll talk now. It's like I'm was Navy SEAL. I did mm. this. I retired, and uh, and I hate asking for help. And mm. and she said like the most profound thing that anyone could have said to me. She said, okay, so tell me. How do you feel when other people ask you for help and then you do like you you help them? I was like, I feel amazing. I love helping people, this and mm. that, and whatever. I think we all do. And she said, Well, why are you robbing someone else of that joy? Mm. And I was like, I'm not talking to you anymore. I this is you you hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm like I don't like being that wrong. Um, and so, but those are also things that I share with other people. Mm. I think it's important to ask for help, mm. even when you are afraid to ask for help because um, people want to help. People yes. want to help you. Be brave enough to ask for help, which is probably the hardest 
part of that mission, part of that, you know, like, I don't want to show weakness. Oh, I'm a Navy SEAL. I, you're yeah. big and strong and you're not scared of anything and whatever. I got plenty of fears. I got plenty of things I'm scared of. Asking for help is one of those mm. big things. And and so that's when I started Naked Warrior Recovery. Um, my tagline was get naked. And I was actually scared to use that because I'm maybe it's too, too provocative, <laughs> too whatever. And so now everything I wear says get naked. Hat, shirts. I've got socks that say get naked. I don't wear socks very often. But uh, really, that was about taking that ego off, taking that mm. armor, that mask that we're hiding behind off. Because, you know, in the SEAL teams, we go into combat, we put armor on. Yeah. It protects us. It keeps us safe. And when we come back, we take that armor off. We, you know, we strip down, we hit the showers, we recover, we get ready for the next mission. And then when we go out for the next mission, then we put our armor on. In life, we never take that armor off. We never take that ego off or that mask that we're hiding behind off because we're afraid someone may see who we really are. Mm. May uh, We may appear weak to them. Mm. And so it wasn't until I sort of got my wrapped my own mind around it's okay to ask for help it's okay to suck it's okay to be weak it's okay to be vulnerable when you find the strength to become vulnerable then you can find the healing that you actually need and mm -hmm. i think i you know again based on my occupation i think it's important that i say that to people yes so that they're like oh holy shit a navy seal said that then maybe i can Maybe I can impact someone's life. And that's yes. really a lot of a lot of the message that I deliver from stage. Why I think it's important that I get on the biggest stages in the world to deliver that message, to help people find the vulnerability that they need to have in their life in order to have the greatest impact that they can have in their life. Tell me more around, so get naked, the naked warrior. Tell me what that purpose was for you or why that was something you wanted to create. Where did that come from? Uh, it originally came from, I needed to figure my own stuff out. Yeah. It was my own healing process. Uh, CBD was a modality that helped me kind of turn down the noise in my head mm -hmm. so that I could have more positive self-talk because I had a lot of negative self-talk mm -hmm. and that's, yeah, I, you know, I talk about that a lot from stage and I talk about exposing your fears. So the E in naked is expose your fears. And I don't mean lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, I mean like those thoughts, those stresses, those anxieties that swirl around in your head that you don't want to share with anyone, uh, those secrets that you may feel like you're going to be judged mm. on. You're driving along in your car and you start having these arguments with yourself. Yeah. Uh, things that keep you up at night. And um, those are the, that negative self-talk that yeah. we, we all have it. Yes. And CBD, again, was just the modality that helped turn down the noise in my head so I could have more positive self-talk. And I thought, oh, okay, CBD, it helped me. Maybe it can help other veterans and first responders. Um, and then from there, you know, it's not limited to just veterans and first responders. That was my original sort of mm. uh, target audience to like, hey, you guys maybe want to try this. There's a bunch of, you know, rules and regulations behind, you know, cannabis mm. um, in, in the United States. Um, I've had people from Australia reach out and like, Hey man, can you sell down here? Well, not yet. Mm. There's a lot, you know, customs and all sorts of other things makes make it a little more difficult, but you know, uh, marketing CBD is a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. And the reason that I started doing podcasts was to talk about my journey and how CBD helped me. Yeah. And, um, but from there, I really discovered my own story. And so I, there's so much more I need to share other than just CBD.
And CBD stands for just for people listening. Uh, CBD is it's uh, it's it's not even an acronym. It's just a shortened version. It's a it's a it's a molecule in the cannabis plant or hemp hemp plant uh, called cannabidiol. Mm-hmm. And so it's been shown to help people with stress, anxiety, certain kinds of pain. It's been shown to help with sleep. Uh, it's been there have been double blind tests to show that there's one pharmaceutical grade CBD out there. Um, it's very expensive. You can get the same stuff over the counter really mm. at the end of the day, but it, it has helped children with very specific kinds of childhood epilepsy. Wow. And, uh, and, and so there, there's different kinds of CBD out there. I, you know, and if you're going to use CBD, I would make sure it's from a trusted source. There's a lot of non, not great sources out there. Although in the United States, I think the industry is, is cleaning itself up. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it was a modality that helped me turn down the noise, help me find my purpose. And it, it wasn't easy. It's not like, you know, one stop shop, you know, I'm always evolving. I'm tr- always getting better. I'm always modifying my story, my message and adjusting my mission to, mm. to have the greatest impact as, uh, on as many people as I possibly can. Mm. What is the impact you hope to have on the world or the legacy for all the work you're doing? Is there something that sticks in your mind that you'd like to create for people? Yeah. So, um, originally, you know, our goal, our mission at Naked Warrior Recovery is, is 22 to zero. So 22 veterans take their lives every single day. Our mission is to eliminate veteran suicide. But in addition to that is really to spread the word of the get naked mindset. And so, you know, again, that's about taking that ego off, taking that armor off, finding, you know, becoming vulnerable so that you can find the healing that you actually need. But naked is also an acronym and you'll probably hear more about this later. Uh, the N is stands for never quit. The A is accept failure. The K is to kill mediocrity. The E is exposure fears and D is do the work and you have to do it every single day. And if you can take that on as your mindset, then you like nothing will ever stop you in anything that you do. Do you see, I I did an executive uh, leadership program a little while ago. We all went away for a retreat. And what really struck me at the time is some really, you know, emotionally, um, you know, vulnerable and, and men that were struggling with this immense pressure in society to provide, to not feel enough. Right. And, and I think we have to be honest about the fact, you know, there's meat, there's a lot of, um, a lot of talk around the feminist movement, which, you know, of course, I own a business. I think it's a great thing. But I've always been conscious that we never want women to rise at the detriment of men. We never want to make men feel less than or that they don't have a place in the world. Do you see common struggles coming through with men in this day and age and things that they might be facing? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think the the media is driving a lot of this. Yes. Media drives a lot of it. But they're, you know, I have to say that you have to be careful what you ask for, because there will be if if this. I'm all about women, strong women. If you want to be career oriented, go be career oriented. Go do your thing, kick ass. Yes, do like crush it. Um, I have a friend who I I help uh, coach with, and she helps women dominate in male dominated industries. Mm. I think that's fantastic. Let's figure out how to like how to help you be successful in this thing yeah. that you want to do. You you absolutely should. Um but let's not take 
we have to be careful in what we do. Women can't, women are not men. No. Women cannot do what men do. No. We are biologically different. Right. There's, you can argue with me if you want. I don't care who you are. No, no. You can argue with me. <laughs> We're different. We have different capabilities, different qualities. Mm. Um, you're better at things than I am. I'm mm. better at other things that, you know. Absolutely. And, and, and that's, that's the beauty. Like, we're not all the same. No. That's what makes the world awesome. That's what makes men awesome. That's what makes women awesome. Yes. I think that it's important for men to find a group of men that they can trust. Mm. You know, I'm part of two different men's personal development programs. Mm. One is called Man Made, where we go out and we do epically hard stuff. Yep. Climb the Grand Canyon, hike the Grand Canyon, climb Grand Teton, do other adventure races, things like that. Things that really break us down physically, mentally, and emotionally. And then we come back and we like have real hard conversations with one another about relationships and whatever the thing is in your life. And you'll mm. see just grown men like myself, like teary eyed and crying all over the place, snot bubbles, the whole, the whole nine yards. Mm. Um, another program, uh, that I'm a part of is called the project. Mm -hmm. And again, it's, it's a very different pro uh, process, but we're breaking men down physically, mentally, emotionally. We're sharing things that we don't share with other people mm. because we've come to a point where we trust one another. Yes. We don't allow women in those circles yeah. because once you, when you have a, an alpha male yeah. and you bring a woman in, our natural instinct is to now we need to be the provider and the protector. Hmm. Now I'm sure there are women out there like we all don't need to protecting. <laughs> I, I understand. And no one's taking away your power. <laughs> no, no one's taking that away from you. Um, but what we're, what we're, we have to have a place to, to heal. And, and, and I don't think that any woman, real woman, wants to have to defend herself when you know five big dudes come rolling along and they're bigger and stronger you'd yes. like to have a man to, even if it's a sacrificial lamb go so i can get away <laughs> yes you know what i mean even if it's a decoy right yes. exactly yeah. <laughs> um so we have to be careful in like this power switch i agree yeah and and um yeah i i would like to see less of the the push Mm. Like, let us just go do the things that we want to do. Let men be men. Yep. And there's I, another thing that I want to kind of talk about. I did say alpha male. People talk about toxic masculinity. Masculinity is not toxic. No. Femininity is not toxic. No. There are toxic men and there are toxic women. Um, and oftentimes those toxic people are weak people. Mm. They're not strong people. No the you know we have these mass shootings or whatever in the united states and they're like oh it was a toxic whatever it was it was actually a weak man or a weak woman who go and do these things yes strong men and women don't do that they don't create harm they don't they are there yeah. to protect yes and so we have to get away from this toxic masculinity masculinity right. is a good thing femininity is a good thing yep you know really good relationships are you know you have a a masculine man and a feminine woman mm. uh, the more masculine the man the more allows the woman to be in her femininity mm. and, and vice versa. The more feminine she is, the more he can rise in his masculinity. Not bad, just the power we're, we're good at different things. Mm. And so we need to focus on the things that we're really good at. And not I, try to be something else who are not. No, and I think it is okay to embrace men and masculinity and embrace women and femininity. 
Yes. Why not? Right. You know, why are we resisting What's the problem? And I don't feel the need for for me to find my own power. I don't feel the need to take away yours. Right. You know, and I think that's a that's a really interesting. I see we're seeing a lot with the Barbie movie and all this stuff that's coming out and things like that around I'm Kenuff and and a lot of that. And that's why I did want to talk about it because I really like what you're doing around celebrating what it is to be a man and to bond together and to have that conversation and to do it in a way that is authentic to you as a group and and to build that trust through, you know, in some groups it is, as you said, that, that exercise, doing that shared team bonding activity together to be able to build that trust. Sailing and suffering and all of those things. And doing that as a shared experience. Right. And I think what you've been able to do is from your journey as a Navy SEAL is is learn a lot of those principles, apply a lot of those principles to the journey that a lot of men are going through in their own life right sure. now as well. And, and and a lot of the things that I've learned have just been through my own experiences. Yes. Outside of the SEAL teams. Yeah. You know what I mean? What's the toughest lesson that you have had to learn post the Navy SEALs? That's, I need this question in advance so I can really think about it. Um, I think, I, I, I'm i going to give kind of a canned answer, but kind of not, yeah. is it's okay to ask for help. Mm. You don't really have to ask for help in the SEAL teams because you have a team of guys that are there. Mm. If they see you like, you need to focus here. They're just going to pick up this area. We go into a, into a house. If I go right, you're going to go left. Mm. I know that's going to happen. I don't have to ask you to go left. Mm. You're going to do it yep. because you see, you see the gap. Um, in life, we don't have that generally until we build that SEAL team around us and we have those people in our lives um, that are kind of a little more intrusive. They see you struggle. They like, hey, man, what's going on? How, can I help? Like, what's, mm. what's happening? How can yeah. we... Like you're, you, you don't seem right. Yes. Um, something's, is any, everything okay? Anything at home? Whatever it is. Um, but asking for help. I didn't have to ask for help in the SEAL teams because it was almost always there. Or when I did ask for help, it was, it was easy to do. Hey, can someone go take care of that? Because things need to happen. In the civilian world, it's, it's a little more complicated. But, you know, I go, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. One of the best things I could have done was to hire a coach. And then another coach and another coach. And because they were able to give me the help that I needed. And I didn't realize that um, until I did a lot of kind of introspective. And actually, one of my coaches asked me for a video testimonial. And I was like, I I don't know why I hired you. And then I thought back, like I did some, like some, a little more work. And I realized that in the SEAL teams, we hired coaches all the time. Mm. We're not, we're the best at what we do. We are the best at what we do. But there are pieces and parts of what we do that we're not the best. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if we're going to go, you know, take down a building or a, whatever, a village, a, a city block, you need to know how to shoot when you go in those buildings because bad guys c- could be in there and they mm. want to shoot back at you. Um, we're not the best shots. Like, just take that one skill set of just shooting, like going from here to my secondary or like how quickly can I acquire the target? Mm. We're not the best in the world at that. No. There are other people, that's all they do all day, every day. Mm. They're not clearing buildings. They're just shooting yep. paper or steel or whatever, putting ba- bullets down range, transitioning from this to this. And so what we would do is we would go hire the best shooters in the world to teach us 
how to be better. Mm-hmm. And then we might be 10, 15, 20% better when we finish that training. We take that skill set and apply it to the other things that we're really good at. Mm. We're not going to stay at that 20% better. We'll probably drop down to 10, maybe 5% better. Mm. I only need to be 1% better than the bad guy. Yes. But I had to go and get the, 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 the training, the coaching, the teaching the help. to learn how to do that mm. so that I can win. I always want to win. I always want an unfair fight. <laughs> I don't care what I'm doing. I want to, I want it to be completely lopsided in my favor. I'm yeah. never looking for a fair fight. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the, the most valuable thing that I could have done was swallow my ego and, and hire a coach and ask for help. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Love yes, that. ma'am. Uh, I'm going to go into the rocket round now. Oh, I didn't know we were doing this. Yeah, yeah. The rocket round is just a fun one. Trust me. It's not scary at all. It's just a few fun questions around just learning a little bit more about you. Uh, uh, Favorite book. We'll see. What is it? Favorite book. I have two. Yep. I'm going to go same same author, uh, Tim Grover, uh, Winning and Relentless. Mm-hmm. Tim Grover was Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant's uh, basketball, like, private coach. Oh, okay. Love to read Very, those like, two. Very, uh, like, excellent books. I, I actually got the opportunity to speak at the same venue as Tim Grover. Wow. I tried very hard not to be, like, a girl watching New Kids on the Block <laughs> or some Taylor Swift or something, like... You know, I was like, Keep it I cool. had a day to like, kind of like bring it back down. And yeah. And so I got to, I got to hang out with Tim for That's a little bit. Awesome. So that was very cool. Yeah. Uh, and favorite holiday destination. Hmm. Um, I really like Rome. Oh, nice. Uh, cats or dogs? Dogs. Coffee or wine? Coffee. What podcast are you listening to right now? Andy Fursella's Real AF. Nice. And just share with us your podcast as well so listeners can hook in. My podcast is the Navy SEAL Mindset. Awesome. And what makes you Maybe that should have been my favorite podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's all right. You're modest and humble. That's fine. We'll promote it anyway. What makes you feel like you're home? What makes me feel like I'm home? Um, Being home. Just being where I'm comfortable. Sometimes it's on the road. Mm. Sometimes it's like, I'm just alone by myself with my thoughts in my hotel room. Sometimes I'm back in Hawaii. Yeah. Doing whatever I need to do. Sometimes I'm surfing. Yeah. You just know when you're there. I just know. It's just a mindset. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I had a great time. Yeah, me too. Uh, How can people support you? Where can they follow you, share information, learn more about your programs? If you want to learn more about the the Get Naked Mindset, I call it Five Secrets to Help You Think Like a Navy SEAL. Go to fivesealsecrets.com, the number five. Yep. SEAL, S-E-A-L, like Navy SEAL, fivesealsecrets.com. Put your name, information in there. And uh, if you want to contact me, uh, just reply to the email. Check your spam because sometimes my stuff goes in the spam folder. I'm a guy off the internet, so yep. it, it does happen. <laughs> um, or if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm William.r.branham on Instagram. I'm on the other socials, but you could. I'm pretty easy to Google. 450 podcasts makes it easy to find me. Fabulous. Thanks, William. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being a guest. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review. See you next time.